Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm just sharing my screen right now. I hope you can all see that. Is that all right? Yes. Great. So um, as Christopher said, uh, my name is Marina Favreau and I am a research fellow working in emerging technologies and arms control. Um, and today I'll be presenting the findings from a study that I conducted with Heather Williams at King's College London. Um, and this is actually a study that will be published next week. So we're very excited to be sharing these findings with you before anyone else really. Um, so the bottom line up front of this study is that um, it provides a new framework for thinking and talking about emerging technologies and nuclear risk. So this study groups 10 technologies into four technology clusters, um, which are described based on the effects that they'll have. So this study essentially groups technologies that distort, compress, thwart, and illuminate in a crisis. Um, and experts assess that technologies in cluster one distort were the most concerning in terms of nuclear risk because they're both highly impactful and relatively easy to implement in the next 10 years. So let's take a step back, go to the puzzle. So I don't think it's very helpful to treat emerging technologies as a broad risk category. Um, after all, this is a vague term, it's a catch-all term, and it's used to describe a really heterogeneous group of technologies from multiple operating domains, so space, cyber, et cetera, and with different maturity timelines. Um, so instead, what I wanted to do was to create a framework to better understand which technologies create what kinds of risks and how these risks can be mitigated. So here are the questions that guided my research. Um, essentially, I was looking at which emerging technologies are most likely to escalate a crisis, how can policymakers better understand the ways in which nuclear weapon states might feel this impact and which nuclear risk reduction measures could mitigate any potential impacts or any potential risks, excuse me, of emerging technologies while also capitalizing on the, bit, on the benefits and opportunities that they present. So I think these are important questions to ask for a few reasons. Um, they help states to, to make allocation decisions. So states have limited resources, emerging technologies is, as we said, this broad category. So they need to decide what to focus on. Secondly, it offers a new means for addressing emerging technologies in collaborative ways. Um, so this could be between nuclear weapon states and non-nuclear weapon states or between the public sector and the private sector. And it reduces the risks of catastrophic nuclear use, which obviously we are all interested in. Um, so setting up the scope of the studies, I shortlisted 10 technologies for consideration. Um, these are AI-powered cyber operations, deep fake technology, AI for ISR, small sats for ISR, rendezvous and proximity operations in space, kinetic anti-satellite capabilities, uh, satellite jamming and spoofing systems, DEWs, hypersonics, swarm robotics. I promise we'll come back to them. Um, you don't need to memorize the list. So the function that these technologies are, um, are going to affect in this study is crisis stability. And in the simplest terms, a crisis is determined as stable when no uh, side has incentives to, to use nuclear weapons first. Um, the UK is a subject of the study and the timeline is 10 years. So adding all this together, this study is looking at the likelihood of emerging technologies to impact a crisis between the UK and another nuclear actor over the next 10 years. Um, the how of the study is I use a stream method, which is a, a method that I became familiar with when I worked at RAND. Um, it's a RAND developed method and it's essentially used to look at current and potential technologies according to a range of impact and implementation criteria. So what does this mean? Essentially comparing the impacts of technology side by side, as we said, is, can be very challenging. 
Um, I like to say that it's the policy equivalent of comparing apples with oranges. Now, the stream method doesn't necessarily allow us to compare apples with apples because that's impossible, but it, it allows us to compare apples and oranges with common parameters. Um, so that's the kind of what this study adds um, to the literature. And a huge part of the method is um, this survey where subject matter experts were sent a survey that looked like this with 10 technologies, the 10 shortlist technologies that we spoke about in the columns here. Um, over here, we have the impact questions. So these impact questions got at, um, you know, does this technology potentially deliver or enable a disarming first strike? Does it increase or, de or decrease decision-making time? Um, does it create mis or disinformation? And so those are the types of questions that experts were answering. And then over here, we have the feasibility of implementation questions, which ask which barriers um, exist to developing or deploying these technologies in the UK. And this includes budgetary, um, regulatory, ethical, legal, technical barriers, et cetera. So in total, I received 61 completed surveys. This is an example of what a completed survey looks like. Um, it was from an uh, equal mix of policy and technical folk, um, which was one of the objectives of the study. And on average, um, not all experts evaluated all technologies like this absolute hero did, um, but most uh, evaluated between three and four technologies, which is in line with the guidance. So I only wanted people to evaluate technologies with which they consider themselves an expert. Um, so as you might imagine, that created a huge amount of data. Um, and I think that's there was arguably too much data for the human brain to look at and make sense of in an unbiased way. So I actually use machine learning to cluster the technologies according to the type of impact they might have on crisis stability. Um, and the addition of machine learning set the sets the study apart from that which came before it because when I've used the stream method in the past, um, usually the output is a ranking of technologies from most concerning to least concerning. Um, but this relies working from the average of the impact and implementation scores for each technology. Whereas what machine learning does is it allows us to group technologies together that were scored similarly across similar questions. So the result is that we can see technologies um, that have a similar impact on crisis stability and start to characterize these clusters. Um, yeah, so the computer actually graphs this with multiple axes, but I've visualized it here in 2D to make it understandable to our human brains. Um, so here's how we can understand this graph. Um, up in this quadrant, we have highly feasible and highly impactful technologies. So we've got deep fake technology and satellite jamming spoofing systems in this cluster. Um, in this quadrant, we have highly impactful but less feasible um, technologies in the UK context. And in this quadrant, we have more feasible but lower impact technologies. Um, and we'll get into this more as I go along. So just to note that um, these technology clusters were also found to be statistically significant when I used pairwise um, t-testing, which is a st statistical significance test um, that basically what it adds to my findings and how it makes us more confident in them is it tells us that um, technologies in different clusters were always seen to be statistically different from each other. And technologies in the same cluster were seen to be sometimes the same, sometimes, sometimes different. Um, and that aligns with my thinking on this because I'm not saying that technologies in the same cluster are the same. I'm just saying that they're more similar to each other than they are to the other technologies, which gives us a way of understanding um, the findings. So to give you a brief snapshot on these technology clusters, 
Technology cluster one, which is that high impact, high feasibility um, cluster encompasses satellite jamming and spoofing systems and deep fake technology. And these were technologies that are capable of interrupting data flows and distorting the information landscape. Um, technology cluster two impacts the speed of conflict and could compress decision-making timelines um, in a crisis. So this includes hypersonic missiles, swarm robotics, kinetic anti-satellite weapons, uh, AI-powered cyber operations, and RPOs. Uh, the defining feature of cluster three is its ability to credibly thwart or blunt a nuclear attack. And there's only one technology that ended up falling into this cluster, which is directed energy weapons. And finally, cluster four illuminates insofar as it provides more accurate and more comprehensive data flows to decision makers. And these were the only technologies that were identified by experts as capable of both strengthening and eroding nuclear command control and communications, as well as both increasing and reducing decision making time. So these present both an opportunity and a threat to crisis stability. And the policy paper spends much more time characterizing each of these technology clusters and proposes um, bespoke risk reduction measures that are unique to their applications. But for the sake of um, time, I'll, I'll speed along to the implications of the study. So as I mentioned at the beginning, experts assess that cluster one distort is the most concerning for nuclear policymakers because they're high impact and highly feasible. Um, so indeed, these technologies are very readily accessible to civilians. There are smartphone apps and telegram bots that create authentic seeming deep fakes. Um, and even if these don't convince citizens, they're still potentially disruptive. For example, they can be used to embarrass or blackmail decision makers or those with access to classified information. And one thing that analysts talk about in this area that's particularly concerning is that 96% of deep fake videos on the internet are non-consensual pornographic videos of women. So you can, so you can deduce that um, if that were to involve women who are involved in the national security infrastructure, that could be hugely impactful um, in an ongoing crisis. Um, deepfakes could also compromise uh, classified data feeds and so mistrust in the intelligence community's conclusions. And similarly, you can buy a GPS jammer that plugs into your car. They're illegal, but apparently a lot of truckers use them um, and delivery and service vehicles use these to manipulate their driving logs. So these um, can not only manipulate the driving logs, but they also can interfere with emergency services like 999, ambulances, firefighters, police, et cetera. So it's a very concerning um, concerning thing. I'm mindful of the time. Um, I'll say basically, you can read the report if you would like to read more some bespoke risk reduction measures that are unique to each cluster. But one overarching risk reduction measure is that the public sector must cooperate more closely with the private sector because a lot of these technologies are already being developed or will primarily be developed in the private sector by multinational companies that traditionally haven't worked with defense. And this is partially because of the ways that um, the defense procurement process is changing. Um, and this gives rise to the potential harms of dual use technologies. So this is a really important finding from the study. And finally, I think this framework can be used in multilateral forums like the NPT to build bridges between nuclear weapon states and non-nuclear weapon states. So last slide, I promise, revisiting the puzzle. So I shortlisted 10 technologies that um, are most likely to escalate a crisis. Um, stream and machine learning were used to group the 10, the 10 shortlisted technologies into four technology clusters. And depending on the applications, use cases, behaviors posed by each technology cluster, um, bespoke risk reduction measures were proposed. And uh, that's all for me. Thank you very much for having me today. 
Um, I will give Marion an idea. So Marion's asking um, about potential risk reduction measures that the study found. And one, so because I talked most about cluster one, the distort cluster, which has deep fake technologies and satellite jamming and spoofing systems, um, maybe I'll just say a bit about the risk reduction measures for that cluster specifically. So um, a lot of people are talking about specifically Nina Yankovitz, who just wrote the book, um, How to Lose the Information War. She's a disinformation scholar. And she talks a lot about how we can use deep nudes or these deep fake non-consensual deep fake pornography videos that I was talking about as an entry point into legislating um, digital replicas of people. So this is another way of saying deep fakes essentially, because it's so clearly a harmful use of this technology that um, the US Congress has even tried to go this route or is in the process of trying to go this route. And I propose that the UK also uses this as an entry point into legislating deep fake um, deep fake technologies because of their potentially harmful impacts. Um, and as for the space-based protection of space-based assets, such as um, GPS satellites or satellites that um, enable early warning or um, NC3, I talk about how um, the UK could potentially use the um, UN General Assembly's uh, proposed or draft resolution on reducing space threats through responsible behaviors, which is actually a great segue into Seb's presentation um, as a really um, great forum to talk about the protection of early warning satellites and NC3 satellites. 